2: how you doing everybody and welcome to the return of the pro wrestling spotlight i'm your host john arezzi and i'm joined by a brand new co-host here at the show i'd like to welcome bob smith bob how you doing
3: i'm doing just great i'm so excited to be here and i can't wait to get started john
2: same here uh i tell you what i mean i'm gonna get right into it here and uh The Pro Wrestling Spotlight. It's a show that made its debut at Graham Junior College in the fall of 1975 and ran through 1977 up there in Boston. I was a college kid, and that's where I started this this darn thing. Uh, It returned for one show in 1985 on Terrestrial Radio. It was on 1440 WNYG. I co-hosted that one episode with George Napolitano, believe it or not. We got thrown off the air uh, <laughs> after we played the Captain Lou's history of music <laughs> and the owner didn't like it. We got thrown off the air. So uh, it disappeared and then actually made its debut on that same station, 1440 WNYG, on April the 9th, 1989. And we stayed there until August of 1990, then moved the show to 1240 WBABAM which became WGBB and uh we made it made our debut there from September 1990 right through December 1991 when I met a guy named Vince Russo in 1991 and he convinced me to take the show to New York City at a much bigger station so uh we moved the show to the 50,000 watt Powerhouse 1050 AM WEVD in New York City And after that, we bounced around from W.E.V.D. to W.N.Y.G., back to W.E.V.D., and we finally finished our terrestrial radio run in early 1995. The Pro Wrestling Spotlight Then and Now podcast debuted on the Arcadian Vanguard Network in May of 2019 through July 4th of this year. I do want to thank Brian Last for giving me the opportunity to do the podcast with him in 2019, And I definitely want to shout out Arcadian Vanguard's Jace Naccarado, who had a passion for the show, Lou Kippelman, Jake Hammer, and freelance artist Travis Heckle. The reasons for me leaving Arcadian Vanguard have been well-documented recently by Brian Last. He has in great detail discussed why he canceled the show, and it was simple. I talked to an individual about some possible opportunities, and Brian was not a fan of this guy, to say the least, and everybody knows it was Conrad Thompson by now. The fact that I was never an employee of Arcadian Vanguard, I was not under any agreement with Brian, I felt I was free to seek opportunities to reach a bigger audience with platforms outside of what Brian and I did. And Brian did tell me on several occasions that if I did anything on air with ad-free shows and Conrad... He would have to, in all likelihood, sever ties with me, which he did. Uh, So uh, one thing that, uh, you know, I'll address this, and this is the last time I'm going to speak about it. You know, Brian shared proprietary conversations that I had with him. He even brought Medusa into it, and I didn't think that was cool or call for at all. But, you know, why put her in the middle of it? That's the only question I have about that. Brian mentioned that I – throw a lot of Hail Mary passes. And Bob, I think you know what a Hail Mary pass is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so a Hail Mary pass, I mean, that's basically what I've done all my life. If I didn't throw a Hail Mary pass at ECW Press, I wouldn't have had a book deal. If I didn't throw a Hail Mary pass, uh, there would not be a week in a Champions Convention all those years ago. I mean, I've done this. I I can go on and on. I've done this all my life. I like to throw Hail Mary passes, and I like to – Score touchdowns like everybody else does, uh, but many times you don't. But you take the chance. I mean, I'm I'm kind of an entrepreneur. I've always been that way all my life. Uh, I think it's called ambition. And uh, uh, here I am now at the age of 64, and I'm still ambitious, and I'm still always looking for new opportunities. And yes, I'm looking to eventually retire. I mean, there's no question about that. My goals right now are to complete the Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast, Ron. And we have over three years of shows to go. We got quite a library to cover, Bob, over the next three years. I mean, some cool stuff, some fun stuff, some serious stuff, and we're going to get into all of it. And, uh, yes, I mean, uh, I, I certainly would love to sell my archives uh, so I can retire in three years. That's my goal. I'm working on some TV deals with individuals who have the, they have expressed interest on my life story, And as far as Conrad goes, I mean, uh, I respect Conrad. I like Conrad. I think he's built an incredible network. Uh, But the talks between us have, quite frankly, cooled down since uh, all of this public disclosure by Brian began. And I'm okay with that, too. I mean, it's the wrestling business. We've all heard of the wrestling business, Bob, I guess, right? uh you know it, it, the wrestling business is the wrestling business and, the wrestling uh,
3: business is the wrestling business the yes. one the one that I left of course it is. yeah,
2: I left it. <laughs> how many times have I left it three or four times right. uh but I'm guilty of loving pro wrestling. Uh, I have always loved pro wrestling that's why it keeps it draws me back in it's in my blood and uh I started in the pro wrestling business professionally. And that was the first thing I really did professionally was as a kid, as a teenager, uh, write for the magazines, take pictures and all of that stuff. So I'm guilty of loving pro wrestling, but, um, I'm not in love with the business of wrestling. Let's just put it that way.
3: Gee, why would that be John?
2: (laughs) Uh, there's, well, I mean, (laughs) we could talk about that all day long. We also have a new team member. I just want to say hello to Bob before I give you your illustrious introduction because it is an illustrious one. You've done a (laughs) lot of stuff in pro wrestling, which we're going to talk about. But Alex Robertson, who helped me out uh, on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Live uh, shows that we've done on YouTube. And she's a reporter for Slam Wrestling.net with our good friend Greg Oliver. She's going to be our associate producer here. And she'll be editing these shows. So, Alex, thank you. Uh, for coming on board on this team, and you'll be learning the history along with everybody else.
3: I was just going to say the thank you to you. I'm the one that's going to be going back and and looking back at all of this this wrestling history that I missed because I was only born in the 90s.
2: Yes, you are. Uh, you were <laughs> you were born in the 90s, and Ouch. you know <laughs> we were doing yeah. We, Bob and I were knee deep in this stuff oh. back then, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, pretty intensely. But, uh, you know, I, basically what I want to do before I introduce Bob is I'm going to give you, uh, everybody out there listening, because obviously the show has been gone for such a long time. Uh, and uh, one of the visions I had for the show right from the beginning was to uh, chronologically document uh, the show from 30 years ago uh, with the podcast. Like 30 years ago this week, Pro Wrestling Spotlight featured X. Uh, we were never able to do that. Uh, on the previous podcast, and we are going to do it with this one. But how we get there is going to be really interesting. We're going to be catching everybody up over the next several weeks. For example, this show today is going to talk about the Weekend of Champions 1991, that historic convention. And then next week's show is going to cover the steroid scandals. And it's good timing because uh, it'll air – a day after Dark Side of the Ring, so uh, it's going to be really cool. And then we'll cover uh, in the following week uh, what happened in September of uh, August and September of um, of 1991. <clears throat> then the next show will do October, and then it looks like we'll be able to catch up uh, and really do it in chronological order sometime in the month of November. So we're looking ahead, but I do want to introduce Bob. Uh, Bob Smith and I go back a very long time. Uh, Bob is a former managing editor of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. He worked with The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, and all the other magazines during the after-mag's glory years of London Publishing. He then went on uh, and was the former executive editor of WCW Magazine, uh, a contributor to other wrestling magazines such as WOW and Wrestling's Main Event. And uh, this is kind of an interesting tidbit about Bob. He was the first host for the debut version of ECW, then Eastern Championship Wrestling, when it made its debut on Channel 7 in Philadelphia with co-host Todd Gordon. That had to be an experience, Bob. Yeah,
3: I I think that the seven people that saw that show really remember it fondly. Uh, Channel 7 was a very, very small station in Philly, and that's how Todd got it started. He had had done some... uh, Actually, it was just kind of wraparound promos for the upcoming cards. And then I actually did the first play-by-play for ECW. No, excuse me. That's wrong. He had some tapes done with um, Dick Graham as the play-by-play guy. I followed Dick Graham in the announcer's booth. I didn't think I was any good, so I walked away from it. And pretty soon, somebody named Jody Styles was brought in who worked in my office at PWI. so the circle continued to go wow with the ECW story. So and I love Joey. He did such a fantastic job. Uh, everybody knows oh, what it Oh yeah, yeah, is, Joey
2: but. was uh, Joey's a legend, man. That but was, yeah, those
3: those were interesting times in the, in the real formation of of Eastern Championship Wrestling with Johnny Hotbody and the early Sandman and JT Smith and all those guys and it it was really a fun time to be involved with that. I really I'm thankful for it. I had a lot of fun working with yeah. that
2: and we had a lot of fun together back in the day as well in the 90s because you were a frequent guest on pro wrestling spotlight uh on the radio stations that we were on back in the day and we attended shows together i mean we had uh we had a lot of fun and and one thing i loved about bringing you on uh was the fact that you were so knowledgeable about what was going on but uh i know there was a bit of a censorship issue with you as well some back then because obviously you knew what was going on in the business and because of the people you worked for, it was hard for you to, uh, you know, tell us the real scoop back. Yeah.
3: We, we all knew a lot more than we could say on the air. I mean, there was no question about that. Um, It was just politics. You didn't want to, you didn't want to bite the hand that fed you back then. You know, I knew what was going to happen on TV three, four, five weeks before it was going to be on television. I couldn't say what it was. It would just ruin everything for everybody. So it was just a situation where, had to, had to toe the toe the line and be the meek reporter and, and say the safe things that I knew were safe and you know so for anybody who didn't get a straight answer to a question back then I'm sorry but uh, we did what we had to do in those era in that era you know and that's yeah. that's, that's, that, that's you know bringing it up to here about the pro wrestling spotlight the next show we do about the steroids is i I, I consider it a changing moment for Pwi because we got serious you yeah. know no a lot of the articles were still you know Rick Steamboat, Rick Steamboat's inner torment and stuff like that. You know, those kind of articles that the Stanley Weston magazines used to love to print. But once once the real hard news started to hit, the magazine put their serious report. We had we had writers that work for Newsday and stuff like that working on our staff. So it, it really changed Peter. I think it was our first step becoming more of a serious journalistic publication. And we had to be, because you yeah. couldn't hide from it. It was the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. You had to cover
2: it. Oh, my goodness. It certainly was. And I can't wait for next next week's episode so we can uh, talk about all that stuff that happened back in the day with the steroid episodes. And we're going to play a lot of clips uh, from uh, what happened during that month and a half that I was covering all of this. Uh,
3: that, that show is going to be jam packed. Yeah. I mean, get, get your popcorn because you. I think the listeners are going to find out a lot of things they don't know to this day that happened at oh, that yeah. period, you know, because yes. you were, you were involved with all that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. From breaking it's the retorted. story on the air and you, yeah. we'll, we'll be playing those clips next week. Uh, but, you know, welcome. So we're to get started, Bob. I mean, uh, the show was really about what happened 30 years ago in August. And that was uh, my second convention, the weekend of champions, 1991. Yeah. And, you know, I've been I meaning to
3: ask you off the top of your head. Okay. Do you remember, the majority of the wrestlers who were there. Cause I, I just see, I just glance at the notes of it and it's unbelievable who attended this event. There's never yeah. been anything like it. I don't think in all the time since that happened.
2: No, it was an amazing, uh, it was an amazing array of legends. And uh, my primary uh, goal, as soon as Ric Flair uh, left WCW, I was like, I got to get Flair. Uh, so we got Flair. Uh, of course, Buddy Rogers came aboard Luthez, Superstar Billy Graham, Bruno Sammartino, Fabulous Moolah, Rick Rude, Cactus Jack, Woman. um, uh, I'm sure I'm leaving. Johnny Valiant uh, Mm -hmm. and and so many others. I mean, Oxbaker. Uh, It was uh, it was quite uh, it was quite a a historic event. And for me, uh, it was um, it was kind of like a. uh, for me as a fan, it, it was kind of like me putting together all of these legends. These, these, the only one that was missing was Freddie Blassie. I yeah, mean, I got have Freddie Blassie and because I didn't have that relationship with the WWF at the time. You know, we were, you know, not really seeing eye to eye on some things. Uh, although uh, the Friday before the convention, I was invited to Vince McMahon's office uh, with Dave Meltzer, Wade Keller, they gave us tickets to summer slam uh, and, and Vince was like, well, you know, we should all kind of work together. And, uh, and then they allowed me to have Freddie Blassie on the radio show, uh, which we'll be covering in, in, uh, coming weeks. Uh, but, um, I would have loved to have Blassie there with everybody else. It would have been, it would have been amazing for me because, you know, Freddie was always a uh, all time favorite of mine. John, if I can ask you one more question about this, um,
3: How hard was it putting this together? It had to be kind of daunting. Did you have any no-shows? Did people disappoint you? Was there scheduling conflicts? Were people late because of
2: airport snafus? I mean, what happened? Well, I couldn't bring people in that kept calling me. Like Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert wanted to come. And he, of course, came to the following year's convention. And Ric Flair wanted to bring Arn Anderson with him. Uh, and I really didn't have the budget for that. I was over budget because, mm-hmm. uh, and even Johnny V was like, all right, I gotta be there. I, I you know, please let me come. And so, and Jimmy Cornette, oh my goodness, I forgot Jimmy Cornette, who was the auctioneer that mm-hmm. year. So, uh, uh, Cornette was there. So there were so many that wanted to attend then. And, and then some of them wound up just showing up and getting, uh, uh, dealer tables themselves. and, uh, but, I mean, it was just, it was just, it was overwhelming for me. And especially at that time, especially when Flair appeared uh, with oh, Bobby Heenan appeared on WWF TV with the belt. Mm, and yeah. that, meant, that meant Ric Flair was going to uh, the WWF. And I'm like, holy smokes, he's not going to show up. And, no. and that was, that was on my mind. Cause Flair uh, was uh, the only performer that really didn't sign a contract. And I was worried up until, The day he showed up, I had a conversation with him on the phone five days before, and he says, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to be there. And he was. Wow. You know, another thing, another aspect what
3: made the convention so special is that up to that point, there's always kind of a wall between the top pro wrestlers and the fans because they were main inventors. And you had that imaginary wall But here was an event where the fans can come and meet these guys and they can talk one to one with these huge stars. They never really had the opportunity to do it before. What do you think broke that down, that little wall that some wrestlers used to have about not really mingling with the fans or getting involved too closely with them?
2: Well, I mean, uh, I think Ric Flair, again, is a perfect example of that uh, because Rick didn't know what to expect. And he was so into kayfabe at the time. I mean, yeah. Earlier that year, I got thrown out of the locker room by him. Uh, because, oh, me too. Me too. Uh, you know, he was not in a good mood, and he knew. I, you know, I was covering very inside stuff. Um, uh, you know, from uh, Ricky Steamboat when he left WCW uh, and with the contract dispute. But I was really getting inside. So he threw me out of the locker room. He didn't know what to expect. But but the whole thing was, once he got there and started signing his defenses lifted and he had a great time all of them did I didn't think there was very many of those um, wrestlers in the autograph room that just didn't feel the love from the fans and they opened up Mm -hmm. and they and, and I think it educated them that perhaps the business was changing more and you could be more open with the fans. Yeah, and, and and one of the one of the biggest memories for me was when we did the auction, and when uh, Jimmy Cornett was the auctioneer, and we were about to auction off Ric Flair's robe. That he came into the ring to start it off, and he got on the mic, and he thanked me, and he told the story about him throwing me out of the locker room, <laughs> but he thanked me because he had a great time, and he shook my hand, and. For me, that was uh, that was uh, such an such an amazing moment.
3: You know, I I always refer back to that photo. You and I have talked about this. This There's a great photo that John has of Mula, woman, Buddy Rogers, Ric Flair, Rick Rude, Luthez. And the look on their faces in this photo is unlike any wrestling photograph I've ever seen. These people were delighted. They were having the time of their life. It looked like they were all having the time of their lives totally being themselves at a wrestling convention. I, I think that tells you everything you need to know about the event, you know, because it's like
2: that they, they were having as much fun as the fans were. And I think that's what made it so special. Yeah, it certainly was. And they were, uh, they were very happy to be around each other, be around the fans and the joy on everybody's face was evident. Not one of the performers there was unhappy at the end of the weekend. And uh, we'll get to talk a little bit later because there was another famous picture that was shot at that convention. Mm -hmm. And that was when uh, George Ann Macropolis convinced Buddy Rogers and Bruno Martino to take a photograph together
3: wow <laughs> okay. yeah and
2: that and that pitch i don't know if you've ever seen it or not but it's out there on some social I, media i
3: i think i saw it in the past
2: but you yeah. know come to think of it yeah they were kind of at loggerheads for a long time weren't they oh my goodness yeah there was no love lost between them and uh and when that picture was taken it was amazing and actually uh there's going to be a gentleman that's going to be joining us later uh the person who took that photo is going to took it me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Here's the other thing about the show and the new format. I mean, we never had guests uh, when we did Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And now with Brian, uh, but this incarnation of Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and that's simply what we're calling it is Pro Wrestling Spotlight. uh, We will have guests on. Uh, and, uh, I, I think that's going to add, uh, another element to what we're trying to do here is to have some of these people that were around back in the day to come on and uh, talk about what happened back then. Yeah. And you know what, John and I have talked and
3: Alex has talked with us. We're going to have fun with this and we want you listening to have fun too, because, uh, it's great to go back and relive these amazing memories of the time when I first got into the business and. We just hope that, you know, you're into nostalgia and that you're into hearing about these stories that I think a lot of people really don't know. So it's it's really time to bring these out of the closet and bring them back into the light again, I think.
2: Absolutely. And uh, I am looking forward to every single one of these things. So uh, mm-hmm. Weekend of Champions, 91, what else we got? Well, you want to go to the clips now? or? Uh, well, I, yeah, you- we, we have pulled a lot of clips. And, uh, I mean... Uh, uh, Bob, I mean, you know, your ball game, introduce them. It's let us my know. ball
3: game. Okay. Yes. I, I
2: gave you that responsibility. I was like, Bob, you pull the clips. Yeah. I, I
3: chose these clips. You know, the first one I picked is a really cool conversation with the former six time Indyberry world champion, Luthès who was the most gracious gentleman you would ever hope to be, uh, both, you know, in his ring persona. And if you ever talked to him in real life, he was just a real classy gentleman And one thing I liked about him, even in his advancing years, he was not one of those bitter old wrestlers. He was really into what was going on at the period, you know, when this convention was getting started. And he was really looking forward to the convention, too. And um, you have any memories of Lou at that event?
2: Uh, Well, of course I do. I mean, uh, you know, he uh, I know when I asked for auction items, he he brought a pair of socks. (laughs) So (laughs) Uh, Not something, uh, you know, not something really memorable, but. uh, Oh, he
3: really put his best foot forward, didn't he? Yes, he did. uh, He Mm -hmm. he
2: certainly did. And I know Lou appeared, like I said, all of, you know, tried to get everybody to appear on Pro Wrestling Spotlight in the weeks before. Uh, So, uh, you know, Lou uh, graciously agreed. Uh, And I have to thank Don Liable. Uh, Donnie is the guy that really hooked me up with Lou. And Lou had, had made some appearances on the show. And when I was booking Weekend of Champions 1991, I was like, he, he, you have to have Luthez there. And he agreed to come, and uh, and he uh, came on the air to talk about it.
3: Well, we'll get to this right now. This is from July 28, 1991, and WGBB, for you old-timer fans out there. Also on this episode, we had Paulie Dangerously, that smoothie Joel Goodhart with his tri-state announcements of what was happening, and uh, Wade Keller was on the show, and I think Don Liabeau was on the show as well. So without further ado, uh, let's see if we can get this clip up featuring the great Luthez.
4: Well, we're looking forward to uh, seeing you in person, and uh, uh, you'll be at the Week in the Champions Convention August 24th and 25th. Now, in your memory, uh, has there ever been a time where all these ex-champions have ever assembled uh, under the same roof uh, uh, for an autograph session of this uh, type? I don't
1: believe so. I think this is uh, a new format.
4: And uh, you'll be with, uh, obviously, seven-time champion uh, Ric Flair and Buddy Rogers and uh, Bruno Sammartino uh, and and so many others that will be appearing there. Uh, Can you give us a quick uh, memory of maybe yourself and and Buddy Rogers? A lot of people don't seem to have liked Mr. Rogers.
1: Well, he was not a self-serving person, but he was a a competitor, and uh, he took care of himself, and I think he did a very good job. Uh, very very colorful i think at that time he was probably the most colorful wrestler we had Uh, drew a great deal of of, of money and had a uh, just a a lot of fans around the country popular either that or not too popular unpopular but uh, he would take advantage of any opportunity and uh, created some of the opportunities and uh, he didn't mind hurting people, which is, that's the name of the game. And if you're not accustomed, you know, or ready for that sort of uh, mentality to wrestle against, you're in the wrong business.
4: Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, uh, you know uh, Rick Flair as well, and uh, he's been in the news these days. And uh, what's your personal opinion on what's happening with uh, with World Championship Wrestling right now, losing a guy like well, Rick Flair? Well,
1: I think two parties just agree to disagree, that's all. And that's happened before in, and, and, you know, many athletes. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of bargaining for more money. And uh, that's where it is, actually, the, what they call the root of all evil. It is not all evil. But um, uh, Dick Flair is, at this time, at the twilight of his career. But I think he's in a very good position because, so far as ability is concerned, he's out there with, with anyone.
5: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, it would be very difficult to second-guess him Uh, or uh, even uh, the uh, Turner Group, Jim Hurd, because uh, uh, as if anyone has ever been in business, there's only a certain amount of dollars to go around, and if it doesn't go around, you have to make cuts somewhere, which is happening in many industries all over the world. And uh, it's just a matter of uh, doing the best they can for themselves, and I have empathy for both of them. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those situations where they disagreed and uh, they're going in separate directions. Uh, Flair will be fine because he's going to be in demand all over the world, and Turner will survive also. So that's a, Jim Hurd is, is a bright guy, and so is Rick. And it's uh, just one of those things, maybe a personality clash. I don't know. But whatever, uh, I wish them both well, and I think they both will do well.
4: Mm-hmm. We want to touch on one uh, other subject with you. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, press about professional wrestling over the last month, month and a half, regarding the steroid issue, which certainly was not an issue when uh, you were competing in, in the wrestling game. Uh, What is your opinion? uh, What do you think the promoter should do about cleaning up the business right now?
1: Well, actually, it is not a promoter's job to um, oversee uh, the intake or the uh, eating habits of any of the athletes. If the athlete is in good condition, he can go out there and do the thing that he's supposed to do. Like if he's in good condition and he's booked to wrestle a certain fellow and he's ready to do it, that's the way to go. That's the promoter's job, to promote the wrestling uh, to get the right sort of exposure so that people are aware of what matches are coming up. However, uh, so far as uh, cocaine is concerned, many of them are testing for that. How much you're testing for steroids, I don't know. But anyone that can read should certainly know that it's a threat to take these things, these controlled substances, and uh, you got to pay for that stuff down the road somewhere. Billy Graham and many, many others are paying for it. and That's just the tip of the iceberg because this has just now begun to come to light. And in the future, you're going to read a lot of things and learn a lot of things about uh, the steroid situation, which there are many variations of, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as I said before, to repeat, they're going to have to pay for this down the road somewhere. You cannot yo-yo your body around like that with controlled substances and expect not to pay for it down the road. It's going to happen. I have empathy for these people, however, because, okay, let's say, for instance, here's a, a wrestler, a young wrestler. He's in there. He's making anywhere from $20,000, $60,000 a year, maybe All of a sudden, he sees contracts signed by some people that are humongous and they've grown maybe uh, 15, 20, 30 pounds in their upper extremities and they look like, uh, uh, well, like a steroid freak is what they look like, (laughs) but they look like a a monster. Well, people love fantasy and that's what they're going for. And if they can sign a contract to see other people sign contracts for like maybe. $250,000 250000 or $500,000 a year, that's a pretty good lure, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can understand how a fellow might get on it and say, well, maybe I'll do this for a short time just to get some good contracts. But they never do. Their lifestyles change when they make more money, and a lot of things happen. And uh, they get mousetrapped in a kind of a situation where they cannot back off, and that's the death knell because that's what happens. You get, get hooked like uh, in a salad, like, for instance, you know, they use another... Uh, analogy: uh, A little garlic in a salad is great, but if it's all garlic, it isn't good, you know. Yeah. And some of the people are using a lot more steroids than would normally be used. It's a useful drug uh, in certain conditions, but it's got to be supervised really rigidly by a competent physician, and uh, that's not what's being done. They're taking a lot more than they should, and, of course, they're hurting themselves down the road, and that's what's, that's what's happening.
4: Okay, Lou. Listen, we appreciate the time. Oh, I can't hear you. Yeah, Lou. Hello? Yes. Yes, can you hear me now? Barely. Okay, we have a problem here with our microphone, Mr. Thez. We uh, appreciate you coming on the air with us today, and we'll see you in August at our Weekend of Champions Convention.
1: I look forward to meeting all the other champions there, and it's going to be a great thing, and I think you have a great idea to bring all the guys together, and uh, this should attract a lot of attention.
4: Well, we certainly hope it will, and uh, Me too. thank you very much for your time. Thank you.
2: Great clip. I mean, that really was. I mean, uh, and before we get into conversation, I, do, I want everybody to know, that all of these shows in their entirety, unedited, are available uh, at our Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash John Arezzi. So uh, one thing we're continuing the tradition, uh, and we'll talk about the Patreon show, uh, the Patreon page before we uh, wrap up today. But uh, we started the show in April 9th, 1989. So for patrons, uh, five, bucks a, uh, five bucks a month gets you in the door and you get to hear the entire archives.
3: Yeah there's some just some really great stuff on those shows and uh I, I, you leave the ads in too don't you everything yeah sometimes sometimes it's worth, it's worth the price just to listen to some of those local ads you used to have to read <laughs> oh absolutely <laughs> i mean great reads
2: and and also the yeah. ap the ap network news uh that was uh right in the middle of the uh between the first and the second hour when we were on WGBB and especially a lot of people a lot of the patrons love that because they get to hear what was going on in the world uh, during that time period, especially during the Iraqi crisis in yeah. uh, early 91, which led to, you know, the WrestleMania, Sergeant Slaughter, Iraqi Sympathizer. So all of those shows are on Patreon dot com slash John Arezzi. But this clip with Lou uh, listening back to it with you uh, is just uh, an incredible conversation with a guy uh, who was uh, one of the, the true historic legends in the history of the business
3: no question about it and what really impressed me about him was he was really up on that on that steroid stuff he knew exactly you know the effects of steroids why they were dangerous and he just enunciated that so perfectly um and be- literally you know what was about to unfold not too long after that yeah. so he, he he knew what he was talking about
2: yeah, and uh, he was always very articulate. Every time he appeared on the show, I mean, he, he just uh, articulate and what a gentleman, Lou. Lou was.
3: You know, to all the years as you know, after he retired, he stayed in the business. I remember him doing color commentary for Pedro Martinez's – well, actually, no, it was when they were in the Carolinas for the IWA, which used to be on in New York. Right after that point, when they stopped being in New York, they continued on the Carolinas, and he did color commentary there. He did it for all kinds of uh, promotions uh, throughout his later years, and he was always great. He was just – there was nobody like Luthez. No. He was one of a kind. I agree. So uh, would we like to go on to our next segment, or let's see here. Guess who we have next. Speaking of world champions, was there ever a greater champion than
2: Buddy Rogers? Wow. Uh, Buddy, of course, um, one of the guys that – was very controversial i mean he was he did have an ego he um uh, he certainly didn't have any level loss with a lot of people i mean but to have buddy uh, agree to do the convention and then be able to actually talk to the guy uh on the radio before the convention was an amazing uh opportunity for me you know gave me cold chills back then and i get them now just thinking about that and Uh, I tell you how, uh, you know, the Buddy Rogers uh, inclusion of Weekend of Champions 91 took place. I had the idea to bring him in, and I spoke to everybody's friend, George Ann Macropolis, who who gave me Buddy's number and uh, talked to Buddy. And it took a couple of conversations. And then when I said who else was going to be there and what this was and George Ann also selling it on her end, he agreed to do it. And uh, he was... uh, he was gracious and he was great, but uh, this appearance on Pro Wrestling Spotlight, his first appearance, and I think he did two or three of them on the show, uh, was just very historic uh, leading up to Weekend of Champions, and uh, this also took place, I believe this one was in August, right, Bob?
3: That's right. This show is from, um, I'll give you the exact date on it, The show is from August 4th, 1991. There you go, Buddy Rogers. And, and I have my own little personal history with Buddy. Um, he came up to the PWI offices at Bill Aptor's invite at one point, and it was such a thrill. And he, he kind of took a liking to me. And I certainly, you know, he was what a pro wrestler was supposed to be. He looked like one just walking around in public. He walked like a wrestler. He talked like a wrestler. He looked like a wrestler. He looked like a champion wrestler to the day he died. He was always in immaculate shape and, and perfectly yeah. groomed in great clothes. And yeah. soon after that, I'm in a card in Philadelphia. I forget who promoted it. My memory isn't what it used to be. But I remember I'm taking pictures. You know, PWI, he did everything. You, you wrote the stories. You took the pictures. You laid out the art. He did everything. So I'm taking pictures of an independent wrestler. And the guy doesn't really know how to pose. And here comes Buddy Rogers, who happened to be in the locker, room, goes, Allie, I'll show you how to pose. And he did that famous pose where with one arm in the air and yeah. that little, little thrust of the chest. And I was like, my God, I'm in the presence of a legend here. It, right in this little gym locker room that we were in. I even forget the venue, but it was amazing. And even more amazing, that at a, at a subsequent card in Philly, he invited me to have dinner with him. Wow. I, was, I just walked into in one of those restaurant bars at the airport, and he, he was sitting there. He says, why don't you sit down and join me? So I sat down and joined him and I had dinner with Buddy Rogers. So it was he was just such a nice guy and could talk wrestling all night long if he wanted to. Anything. The old days, the current days. He was up on all of it. And he was always Buddy Rogers. And that's what I appreciated about him. He was
2: always the same, Pally. <laughs> Pally, yeah, that was a good uh yeah catchphrase as always. And he had that it factor. He had that indelible yeah. uh star quality, it factor, the bleach blonde hair, the Uh, the unbelievable physique, the charisma, the voice. And, of course, a lot of people may uh, remember him if you watch WWF and Roger's Corner. Uh, You know, he was just an amazing, amazing gentleman, and uh, what a thrill to be able to have associated with him. So we have uh,
3: a two-part clips on this one. Okay. You want to get to it, John? Should we start? Let's do it. Let's hear from one of the greatest of all time, the one and only buddy rogers
4: buddy are you with us yes i am good morning sir how good are morning, you good morning john how are you oh we're doing pretty good and we're joining studio by uh, one of our correspondents don liable from upstate new york who uh, of course has followed your career as well and uh we're just three short weeks away from uh, perhaps the biggest wrestling fans convention ever that's the wrestling fans weekend of champions and it wouldn't be a weekend of champions without buddy rogers there and uh first and foremost, we're very, very happy that you're going to be joining us that weekend.
6: John, it's going to be a pleasure to be there.
4: The main thing is
6: for you to get me out of this beautiful world called Florida.
2: Yeah,
4: right.
6: <laughs> and you know I'm a sun worshiper. Yes, I indeed. love that beach. I only live a half a block from the beach. For you to get me to go up there on this autograph session, you know <laughs> it's got to be a big thing.
4: Well, we're going to be there with... Uh, a couple of people that uh, I think you're familiar with virtually all the other champions in the room. Uh, Lou Thez, who uh, you've met him several times in the past in the ring. Yeah, Lou
6: is a super, super guy and a great champion.
4: And, of course, Bruno Sammartino. And uh, uh, you guys uh, have had your wars, uh, certainly, in the past. And uh, uh, you'll be there with Bruno. And uh, one of the other gentlemen that will be appearing with you, buddy, is uh, the guy that calls himself the Nature Boy today, and he's a Seven-time world champion uh, Ric Flair. Uh, I want to ask you a question about Rick first. Uh, that question is: is that you gave him permission to use the uh, the name Nature Boy, didn't you, at one time? That's right. And between you and I, he done a superb job
6: in the field of wrestling. And I do feel that, well, you know, they say emulation is the greatest form of flattery. Yeah. <laughs> well, he copied my hold. The figure for a grapevine, which I invented, and he copied my style of wrestling, and uh, copied my name, <laughs> and all the way around, he did a superb job. And I will say this: I'm very happy for him. I hope in the future that they don't destroy him because he he has built a super reputation, and right now he's in a position that if he isn't careful, they could destroy him. They've done a fair job in destroying him already.
4: Yeah, that's unfortunate as well. I, I, oh my
6: God, it, it, it's a sin. I think if that, I was him, I'd quit the business. He's made enough money; he ought to get out.
4: Wow. Really, I'd call it quits. But you know what, buddy? You know all the fans out there that enjoy wrestling and enjoy wrestling as uh, uh, respect the ability of of various wrestlers. Ric Flair. There's nobody like him out there right now here in the no, United he isn't. States. Uh, and I think the fans would be very, very sad if Ric Flair does decide to hang the tights up. Uh, I think he's in the driver's seat in a way right now because he certainly could go over to Japan and compete. Uh, he could go to the WWF, which a lot of people uh, pray and hope that he doesn't do. Uh, and he could uh, wait it out. And, uh, that would be a cardinal uh, sin, what they would do to him. Yeah, uh, that's what a lot of fans are fearful about oh, because uh, they don't recognize your history there. And Ric Flair has a, uh, a history which is uh, uh, almost uncomparable to anybody else. And uh, if he does go to WWF, everyone is certainly hoping that he would be used properly in that organization.
6: I would say this, and I've said it often before, that if Vince McMahon Sr. was at the helm, I'd say Rick ought to go today. Because mm-hmm. any time Vince McMahon Sr. told you something... You didn't even need a contract, just a handshake. His word was his bond. And believe me, I'll never, never forget Vince McMahon Sr.
4: How would you compare him, uh, Vince Sr., your dealings with him, and uh, your dealings later on with uh, Vince Jr.? Oh, my God.
6: Uh, well, let's take it this way. Vince Jr. will never, never be a Vince Sr. Never. The first thing he's got to learn is what fidelity is. He's got to learn that his word is his bond. And uh, up until he learns that, he'll never make Vince senior. In fact, I worked for Jess McMahon, which is Vince.
4: The grandfather?
6: Yes, I worked for him my first match, 1939, at the Old Garden Pier
4: in Atlantic City.
1: Wow.
6: He gave me my first booking. He was the booker for Rudy
4: Dusick. We're talking about some historic names there in the business. Oh, yeah. Uh, would you mind, buddy, if we uh, take some calls for you from sure. some of the listeners out there? Sure. And uh, i tell you what we'll do, fans. If you'd like to talk to a uh, nature boy, Buddy Rogers, uh, he will be with us for a short period of time here today. And you can call him up right now and ask him a question at area code 516-955-1240, 516-955-1240. And just uh, keep questions for Bud just for Buddy Rogers right now, and we'll open it up uh, for any discussion uh, later on in the program. And, and we're here at Don Liebel And, Don, uh, I'm sure you want to ask Buddy a few questions as well. Buddy, uh, it's a
0: pleasure to uh, finally meet and talk to you, although we're looking forward to seeing you at Donnie,
7: the convention. can you talk a little louder,
0: please? Yes, Buddy, as I say, and it's very uh, much an honor to finally uh, speak with you. And i got a couple names from the past I'd like to throw to you, and if you give a quick synopsis of your dealings with them in the ring, uh, one of them... Uh, uh, killer Kowalski.
6: Killer Kowalski. What about? Uh, what do you wish to know about the killer?
0: What, what did you think about him as a wrestler?
6: Absolutely great. Really, absolutely great. I had a, <laughs> I had a match with him in Montreal that never started. The referee called us to the center of the ring gave us instructions i turned around to go to my corner and he leaped from behind kicked me in the leg knocked me down kicked me a couple more times broke my ankle dead center of the ring and the match never got started they had to refund 15,000 tickets
0: wow well, how about uh, dr jerry graham
6: graham i don't know too much about graham uh graham you know in, in my day uh Graham wasn't in what you call the Luthes, Orville Brown Ruffy Silverstein Argentina Raca Gene Stanley he wasn't in that league
0: Mm -hmm. and I got one more to throw at you here Uh, Kangaroo Al Costello
6: oh he's a great guy one of the greatest tag team wrestlers around in fact he lives down in Florida here now you know yeah and and, uh, what was his partner's name Roy Heffernan Heffernan they were super.
0: Oh, Along with Red great. Berry? What's that? Along with Red Berry?
6: Red Berry, he was the manager. Right. Yeah, he, he had quite a head on him, believe me. He he led them guys right to the top.
4: Okay, uh, what we're going to do is take some calls now. I just want to let the listeners know out there, the people who are holding on the line, questions for Buddy Rogers only. If you don't have a question for Buddy Rogers, we will have open discussions about wrestling uh, after the uh top of the next hour. We'll go to our first call. Mike from Island Park. Mike, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. They made a mistake. I didn't want to talk to Buddy Rogers.
4: Okay, well, we'll see you later. Zach from Queens, you're next. Hi. um, uh,
1: I'm honored to uh, be speaking to uh, the greatest legend in wrestling right now, uh, Buddy Rogers. And uh, I was wondering what, uh, um, you know, what you... in wrestling today uh,
8: whether you approve of it or disapprove it if Buddy Rogers let's say was the head of a federation today how would you change today's uh, uh, quote unquote
6: wrestling well I can speak for both the NWA and the WWF because I was the champion of both of them and I will say this that from my day to the day I have to sum it up with one phrase, Wrestling today is a lost art.
4: Okay. Huh? Thanks for your Thank you very much. Okay. righty. Okay, Zach. Uh, Don from Oceanside, you're next.
0: Good morning, John. Good morning, Mr. Rogers. Uh, Good morning. I have one question for you. Which do you think meant more to you? Being N W H Will F- you talk F- a little
6: louder, please?
0: Okay, sure. Which do you think meant more to you? being NWA world champion on a number of occasions or being the first ever World Wide wrestling federation champ?
6: Well, I took them both the same because at the time they both meant, you know, the championship. And uh, I will say that uh, I can't believe what they've done to destroy the NWA. That took a lot of hard, idiotic work, believe me. The NWA was the first. WWF came last, and believe me, the NWA. Right, right. The days a group of promoters should throw a pile of dough in a in a kitty and start that NWA up, and I'll guarantee you that NWA will always be a great title.
1: Thank you very much. I don't
6: yeah. care what they call the new championships. Good God, they've got them around now. It's uh, I, I think they're running out of letters. And they're running out of championships.
4: Yep. Well, the NWA title certainly uh, a title with a strong, strong history. Don, you want to you want to join in here,
0: buddy? Do you think there are too many championships that it dilutes the the world championship? Uh... Let me tell
6: you. You know what they ought to do? They ought to take all the so-called champions or all the would-be champions, hold a tournament, and have a boiling pot, and have the Right, use the big apple, use the garden, and have them all meet, have a tournament, and come out with one great champion. And believe me, that's what the business needs today. The only ones that believe what's happening on TV today are the young kids who don't understand what's going on. They don't realize what's happening to
4: them. Yep. Well, listen, we have a a special guest caller calling in here. Uh... Barry Ross, he's the president of the Hulk Hogan Vitamin Company. Right. Okay, Barry. Yes, John. You're on with uh,
1: Buddy Rogers. Uh, buddy, I just wanted to call and say uh, my father took me to my first wrestling match uh, at Sunnyside Garden back in 1962, and you were the headliner of the card. And oh I wanted just to pay homage to one of the truly great champions and truly great entertainers of all time in the sport. Thank you very much, Barry um i i'm president as john said of the hulk hogan vitamin company and i'm also very good friends with hulk and uh, work very closely with
3: him okay that's clip number one um I, i'm really sorry that buddy pulled so many punches in that interview it's <laughs> he just laid it out there didn't he no he
2: didn't hold back uh no. not at all and uh and uh, i was really uh happy that he didn't that he that he spoke from the heart he spoke now, his opinions. that's at
3: the point when uh, flair was that was 91 i'm trying to figure out what the nwa had done flair hadn't left yet
2: i don't think right when that was recorded uh flair was just about to leave so i, just mean, about he, to I leave. mean but he was gone he was technically fired on july the 7th i mm-hmm. think and uh and, and basically uh, we covered that on pro wrestling spotlight on that uh, particular episode uh and and then um uh, uh, you know, as far as the NWA brand goes, it was it was being phased out by WCW at the time, and uh, but uh, that legacy, uh, that legacy was kind of diminished, and um, and that's what Buddy was talking about. Obviously, is that uh, it was a brand, it was a legacy, it was a company that uh, was the oldest one, uh, and uh, he he spoke from the heart, and it was a, it was a it was a cool segment.
3: Well, th- th- that period of the NWA was such a mess. I mean, I don't I don't want to speak badly about anybody, but it, it was disjointed. They were trying to copy WWF in ways that just were falling flat left, right, and sideways. And yeah, I don't think they knew which end was up at that point. And if you ask anybody who was around at that point, they probably agree with that summation of it. It was just disjointed completely.
2: it certainly was.
3: Yeah. So we'll go on to the second half of this uh, Buddy Rogers' appearance where he, again, doesn't pull any more punches. And uh, let's see what he has to say when he come back from the break.
4: So uh, they're coming in from everywhere for the Weekend of Champions. And as far as dealer tables go, we've expanded it to 50 dealer tables. We uh, have availabilities for about 12. So if you're out there and you have any wrestling memorabilia that you might want to sell, uh, give me a call at uh, after the show today at 516 587 2861 and if you want a super ticket uh we'll take reservations this week uh for super tickets because uh more than half are gone and if you think uh if you think you'd you know if you want to wait online uh for the two three hours it's going to take to get into the convention uh do so but if you don't want to and you want all the extras to come with a super ticket give me a call at five one six five eight seven twenty eight sixty one, and we'll get the uh uh, super ticket out to you just give me a call after the show today and we have um, like I said less than a hundred left let's get back on the phone with Buddy Rogers Buddy are you there yes I am and we got a full bank of calls here for you from all over the uh, New York area and we'll, uh, we'll get to I think we left off with
0: Steve from West Hempstead and Steve you're next good morning John good morning buddy how are good you good morning buddy there's a new federation the UWF which basically they wanted to get to the wrestling back to the basics and that's kind of the view that I, I know that you espouse. You don't like the wrestling what it is today you mentioned no,
2: before.
0: Um, number one, are you are you familiar at all with the UWF, and um, uh, have you any dealings with them at all in the past year? No, I don't. I don't know that much about them,
6: no.
4: Okay. okay. Okay, thanks, buddy. Great, thank you. Okay, Steve, thanks for your call. Brian from Lindenhurst, the first-time caller here at the Pro Wrestling
0: Spotlight. Brian, are you there? Good morning, John. Good morning, buddy. Good morning. How you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in. Fine. Listen, first of all, I called up. I wanted to say thank you personally from a young 17-year-old guy that was sitting in the old garden when you were wrestling with Bob Wharton against Cowboy Barbellas and Johnny Valentine. Oh, boy. And you took the time when you came back after the match, walking down the aisle. I stopped, and you put your hand out, and I shook it. And to me, that was the greatest thing in the world.
6: Oh, thank Talk you, to very you a great much.
0: champion and a great guy.
6: Well, I always liked kids. I really did. I still like them.
0: <laughs> well, you're the, great, you're, the, you're the greatest I ever saw. Uh, you're thank the greatest. You very you're,
4: much. You're super. Well, that's great. Uh, we appreciate your call, Brian. And uh, Buddy and
0: John, have a good day, huh? I, hope oh, thank see... you.
4: I hope to see you at the convention, Brian. I will. I'll be there. Thank you. Okay, great. 955 one open line if you'd like to get through. Let's go to Doug from New Hyde Park. Hello, Doug.
0: Yes, hi there. How you doing?
4: Okay, fine. Buddy? Yes, sir.
0: Okay, how you doing, buddy? Okay. I want to just say that I remember you in the early 60s at the Island Garden in West Hempstead. Right. And you were wrestled Bobo Brazil. Right. And uh, I sat in the second row, right in your corner, and you stared down at me. And I, I can't hear me. you. You're fading yeah. out. All right. Hello? Yes, Hello? go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. Doug. And you stared down at me, and I was admiring you, and you, we kept looking at each other, and uh, I was really overwhelmed. And... Uh, I know that you and, and that ended up in a draw where you both went into each other, and the referee counted out, and it was a drawer match. But seeing you, you know, in person really made me feel so g- great, you know. And also, you're starting to
6: fade out again. I can't <laughs> hear you.
0: Hello.
4: Maybe he's getting a little. Yeah. Uh, Hello. Yeah, we appreciate your call, Doug. Uh, uh, buddy, so we have a problem with this particular line, uh-huh. but we appreciate your calling nonetheless, and. Buddy, the guy uh, was awed by your presence in the ring, and uh, you did that to a lot of people uh, throughout your career. A lot of people, because you were, uh, uh, and you still are, a great physical specimen inside the ring, and uh, that Nature Boy moniker really fits you. Uh, the people really still remember Buddy Rogers, and I'm telling you, uh, for the convention coming up, of course we hear a lot of uh, calls and people excited about Ric Flair, uh, but it's neck and neck with you and Flair. People are coming from around the country, just to come in to to say hello to Buddy Rogers, and uh, that really makes me feel good, and uh, I hope it makes you feel good as well, because these fans are going to come everywhere to see it uh, August (laughs) 24th and 25th. I have
6: to tell you a funny bit. You'd be surprised how many people ask me to, you know, naturally from my time to Rick's time, uh, there's been a a time lapse, you know, and they ask me if Rick is my son. That cracks me up. Really? yeah well you, you uh, well i'll tell you if i had a son i want him to be like rick how's that
4: that's great because i've heard uh i've met rick a few times uh, and i've always heard from everybody that he's a true gentleman and we've heard the same about yourself and i think the fans are really i gonna... think the
6: fans are going to get a big treat meeting rick he is a superb guy
4: well, we're, we're looking forward to that, and just to get you guys uh, together in the same room, it's going to be something else. Let's go back to the phones right now, and we uh, have another first-time caller, uh, Jack from Brooklyn. Jack, you're next. Hi, Buddy. How are you? Fine. Thank you. Buddy, i got to tell you, I'm watching wrestling 30 years, and
8: um, when I graduated in the eighth grade in my, uh, my yearbook where it said My Hero, I wrote down Buddy Rogers uh-huh, because he was the best I much. ever saw. And watching wrestling for thirty years, you're still the best I ever saw. Oh,
6: thank you. <laughs> My
8: question to you is: uh, Have you ever heard from your old manager, Bobby Davis?
6: I I talk to Bobby once every week. He's out in uh, California, lives in Bakersfield, and he's very, very successful in, in the building business. He was very successful in the Wendy chain. I see. He sold out his Wendy's, turned into developing homes, land homes in the uh, Las Vegas area and doing absolutely great. To a nicer guy, it couldn't happen.
8: Yes. Well, you and him were a tremendous pair. I remember it very well. I haven't seen a champion with a manager like that uh, in, uh, since, in 30 years. I well, wish they can
4: bring you back. Thank you very much. You're welcome, buddy. Thanks, thanks for your call. Thanks, John. Have a nice day, fellas. Okay, right. thank you. So, Okay, we're being overwhelmed here. Uh, Buddy, let me tell you something. We've had a lot of uh, wrestlers, let's say, from the old-time era on this program, many, many major names, and we've never had the response that we're getting right now with the telephone lines for anybody that uh, uh, considered an old-timer in the wrestling business. Uh, we've had big, big names on, and these fans are calling in from everywhere, buddy, and we just uh, hope you can stay on with us a little bit longer. And I know we have another guest who's scheduled to come on, Dave Meltzer. Uh, Vinny, if you can, ask Dave if he'd like to hold and listen to the conversation, but uh, we do want to do another 15 minutes here to the news break with Buddy because uh, we're being swamped by calls from everywhere, and uh, this is great. Uh, Okay, we'll go back to uh, line number one now with Mike from Freeport, first-time caller. Uh, Good good morning, gentlemen. Uh, One question for Mr. Rogers. Um, Has he ever toured Japan, and what was that like? I I can't hear you. Okay, he uh, he wanted to know, buddy, if you ever toured Japan, and how was that like if you did? Well, I was there one time, and,
6: uh, well, at at my period of going over there, it wasn't too good. (laughs) Uh, After the war, everything was a little so-called dead, you follow me? And I'm speaking 1947. Hmm. So, you know, the war wasn't too far from that period, you know. But later on, Japan turned out to be a tremendous area. Oh, my
4: God. And, of course, right now in the wrestling business, Japan uh, certainly is the hot spot in the world. Uh, Oh, it is. Yes, indeed.
0: Okay. Japan,
6: without a doubt. Well, you know... Everything took time for people to get acclimated to one another again. You can't be fighting people, killing people, and then all of a
4: sudden wrap your arm around them, you know? Exactly right. Uh, Let's go back to the lines. Thank you very much for your call, Mike. We'll go to uh, Gary from Staten Island. How you doing, Johnny? How you doing, Gary?
0: Pretty good. How you doing, Don? Is he there? Very good, thank you. Buddy? Yes. Can you hear me? Uh, Yes, speak loud. I can hear. Okay. I work for Ladies International Wrestling Association. I'm a very close friend of the Fabulous Moolahs, was going to be at the convention with you and a lot of other people. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, was the Fabulous Moolah a manager of yours at one time? No, she wasn't. I'll tell you who. uh, She wasn't a manager.
6: Um, Well, she was a slave girl for me. Slave girl, (laughs) yeah. And... uh, we originated this in Hollywood, you know, where everything is uh, a little sort of showish, show business type. <laughs> and that was Helen Hild. Yes. Yes. You know who I mean? Ah, uh, yes. Ted DiBiase's mom. That's DiBiase's mom, all right. She was a, oh, a superb person, a, a doll, baby. I never met DiBiase, but I knew his daddy well. Mm
0: hmm. We have a convention every year in Las Vegas, and I met John DiBiase last year. Uh-huh. And uh, the feel right, the family was fantastic. And Lillian told me an awful lot about Helen Held. And what I'd just like to get one opinion from you. Uh, we've been talking about male champions and male wrestlers today. Can you put the fabulous Mula on a level with Mae Young and some of the great ladies champions I that you've seen? I can
6: put up with Mildred Burke. June prayers uh, and how high can you go can't go any higher than that yeah that mole is a, oh she she's a, she's she's a super person I, I i absolutely love her she's always been a, a a real champion in
4: my books she's a real lady too john yes, listen to a lot of people who Yes, want to there talk is, to
0: buddy Okay, Gary. Buddy, I hope to see you at the convention. I'll be there doing some business with Will, and John, I'll talk to you soon.
4: Okay, thanks, Gary. Bye. Okay, 955-1240. We'll go through the calls quickly as they're still pouring in here. For the original nature boy, Buddy Rogers, Richie from Jackson
0: Heights, you're next. Good morning, John. Good morning, Mr. Rogers. Good morning. I see. I would like to know what you're doing now, Buddy.
6: Well, I wake up in the morning. I go to the gym. I come back. I eat. I go to the beach. I come back. And then I just loaf around. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good life. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I put a lot of years, 24 years on the road. And anything I'm doing today, I believe I deserve. You certainly do. I say that sincerely.
0: You certainly do.
4: Okay, listen, Richie, thanks for your call. Uh, Buddy, what was the greatest thrill you've ever had in the wrestling business?
6: Uh, The greatest thrill? Well, I guess I have to relate to the night I got the title from Pat O'Connor
4: boy that that was a great match
6: and at that time you know 42,000 people that was the biggest house in the history of wrestling and that's with no hype no jazz that they're adding today this came from a solid wrestling match Pat O'Connor everybody knew was a great champion and they knew that I had a chance to win that title. And when you can pull 42,000 people into a building with no extra hype, just a good, solid wrestling match, believe me, you got it
4: made. Well, that match is uh, available. It is on video, and uh, a whole two out of three falls. And watching it today in classic black-and-white videotape, That was a phenomenal, phenomenal match. Well, you
6: can compare that match with matches you see today, and you tell me which is the wrestling match. If you want to see wrestling, anybody listening, if you want to see a real, true wrestling, professional wrestling match, that was it, believe me. That was hold for hold, move for move, and without a doubt, there's more wrestling in that one match than you see in 100 matches today.
4: Well, I'm not going to disagree with you there. That match certainly was an exciting one from start to finish. Let's go to the uh, phone lines again. Uh, Vernon from Fresh Meadows, another first-time caller here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.
8: Hello, buddy. Hello. Buddy, let me say this. This is a great honor to speak to you. I'm 52 years old, I've been following you ever since I could remember. Everybody had heroes like Joe DiMaggio and so forth, and my hero was a Buddy Rogers.
0: Oh, thank you.
8: Okay. And by the way, my family's from your original hometown in Camden.
6: Really?
8: Yeah. Oh, that's great. All South Jersey, Salem. Oh, yeah. All those little towns. And I will be looking forward to uh, talking to you at the convention. I have a hundred questions to ask you, but I know I can't take up the time on the radio. Well, I'll tell you, when
6: I get there, you shoot all hundred at me. Okay. (laughs) And I'll have you know one thing. Camden, New Jersey, is down in the world of records that it's the only town in the world that had the heavyweight boxing champion and the heavyweight wrestling champion come from the same town. And naturally, you know the boxer was Jersey Joe Right.
8: Sure. I met him once briefly. I remember when you had a uh, mixed match with him. Right, uh, some time ago. I remember that. Right. Uh, listen, I can uh, tell you all about yourself, even though your real name and everything. Okay. okay. Uh, listen, what I want to ask you is this: uh, so you good. always, I always admired your physique. I work out myself. Right. How do you, how did you ever living on the road? You know, and I guess eating out of you know different places, How did you ever keep yourself in shape? When you Let me traffic. tell you, I use a combination of weights and aquatic exercise.
0: Uh-huh.
6: I do a 1,000 breast strokes every day in my pool. I do 500 flutter kicks with one leg, 500 with the other. And between weights, and I don't lift heavy weights. The heaviest weight I lift is 45 pounds.
8: Uh-huh.
6: I do reps up to 30, 35 reps.
8: So you work out with light weights?
6: Yes, and you Strictly. You take- If you want to maintain a body as long as you're breathing, believe me, use light weights
4: and lots of reps. Okay, Vernon, thanks for your call. Let's go back on the line. Uh, Richie from
8: North Babylon, you're next. Good morning, John. Good morning, buddy. Good morning. That's right to ask you. Who do you think was your toughest opponent? My toughest opponent?
6: Well, i got to say two guys. Luthez, Argentina, Roca. Oh, one other one, Ruffy Silverstein.
8: Okay, thank you very much, buddy. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Okay, Okay, thank you for your call,
4: Richie. And uh, let's go to another first-time caller here, Jay from Amityville. Buddy, how you doing?
6: Fine, thank you. Uh, Buddy, I'd like to know what you think of the older wrestlers today, getting back into the ring, and would you ever do it? Would I do it? Well, I'd have to give it a lot of thought. I'm in shape to do it. I guarantee you that. i stay in great shape. Would you ever consider managing on the independent circuit? I guess.
4: You should give it a shot. What's that? You should give it a shot. If the right opportunity came along, sure. I'm sure Buddy wouldn't discount it. Uh, Jay, thanks. I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to talk Rick
6: Flair into me managing him. Ooh, that'd be a coup. And I'll tell you what. I guarantee you he could beat any champion there is today.
4: I agree with you 100%, and I'm sure Rick will love to hear those comments as well. I'm dead serious. Well, I I agree with you. Uh, yeah, Nature Boy Ric Flair and He original Nature be, Boy together, man. That would be one job I would take. Mm-hmm.
6: I turned down a lot of jobs, but that would be one job I'd
4: Well, take. maybe we could set you two up at the convention, and we'll put you in a room together, and maybe uh, uh, you guys come out partners, a uh, manager and and uh, and wrestler. Boy, can you imagine? Well, i like Can to you pro- imagine if I
6: managed and handled Ric Flair wow. against Hulk Hogan? Oh, I think that there would be would phenomenal. There would be a building big enough.
4: No, there would not be. That's, that's certainly for sure. But would Vincent K. McMahon promote that match, though? That's the question.
6: No, he wouldn't. I know he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. He'd surprise the hell out of me. <laughs> I know his dad would in a, in a second.
4: In a heartbeat, right? Oh,
1: Jesus, yes.
4: Okay, let's take uh, another call for Buddy as we're wrapping up. Rich from Williston Park, another first-time caller today here at the show.
1: Yeah, Buddy, I just want
0: to let you know that the highlight of my... Uh... Well, sports viewing career was in 1962. Uh, I graduated from grammar school. We went to the Old Garden to see you against Cowboy Bob Ellis. Oh, yeah, what a match. Uh, It was like the third rematch. That guy, uh, hey, that guy was
6: a a super, super wrestler. We all knew that uh, somehow or another he was going to beat you that night, and nope, he just couldn't do it. Well, (laughs) uh... I, I, I'll tell you, as tough as that match was, I enjoyed it. Would you believe that?
7: Uh, I'll tell you, when everyone else was following, and me, I Maid felt and lucky Mantle. that I won it.
6: How do you know? Now that's
7: saying something. Uh, Are yeah. well, we, you? everyone else I knew was following Mays and Mano and everything else, and I was following Buddy Rogers.
6: Oh, thank You're you.
7: my favorite athlete at the time.
6: Well, that's what I gotta say for all the guys that followed me. Every one of you, I know you got a lot of cliffs.
4: <laughs> Thank you, and your manager Bobby Davis. I always remember him. Yes, Bobby Davis. We spoke about him earlier. Rich, listen. Thanks for your call. We're winding down to a news break here, and buddy, I want to ask you and, and and finalize this interview with you with one thought. What is your wish for for professional wrestling today? I wish wrestling
6: would come back to my era. I wish I wish that the commissions would all come back, and really control what's happening in the wrestling field today. That's what's lacking. Do You know, in my day, there was a commission. If you'd done something like we, uh, like, I heard they fought out in the street, and they, good God,
4: you couldn't do that in my day. You'd be suspended. Yeah, the New York State Athletic Commission was very tough. Uh, right. Barring the Sheik uh, for life here, and Dick the Bruiser as well. Hey, let me tell you, that's what's wrong with wrestling
6: today. They need a commission. They need somebody to govern that thing. They need somebody to say, hey, man, this crap has got to stop. And you know what? They would draw more people than they're drawing today.
3: Wow. Wow, my head is exploding.
2: Well, it was an amazing segment uh, with uh, Buddy. And I tell you one thing he brought up, Bob, uh, which was uh, so telling when he mentioned that he would want to manage Ric Flair. Yeah. Those two guys hit it off. At the convention, I mean, they closed the bar that night, and Flair was Flair. <laughs> uh, oh and, yeah, okay. And Buddy, Buddy, and they were drinking, and they were having fun, and they were dancing, and and to see the two of them just really the uh, the mutual admiration and the mutual friendship, and it was like student and teacher in a lot of ways, but you couldn't um, you couldn't break them apart after the first night of uh, the convention, after the first autograph session, they just hung out at that bar and people surrounded them. And it was like, you were seeing these two gods who were embracing for the first time, the original nature boy and nature boy, Ric Flair.
3: Uh, Buddy Rogers just kills me. He always did. I'm, I'm sitting here and not know whether to laugh out loud or cry because he's no longer with us, but I will say this. Do you remember Joel Goodhart? Oh, yeah. Was was trying to promote a match. In fact, I went to a press conference at Philadelphia. Uh, uh, Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers against Nature Boy, Buddy Landell. I don't remember the specific date, but this was past this point in time. And I believe Buddy died before it could occur.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what happened, and uh, uh, and Joel uh, got together with Buddy at the convention, and he kind of convinced him to get in the ring one more time, and yeah. Buddy said yes.
3: Uh, Buddy died just to form uh, – in an accident, I believe, that happened in a supermarket, believe it or not. Um, I believe he fell and started a chain of – of bad things happening to him and he never really recovered for it. If I'm wrong about that, forgive me, but I think that's pretty Uh, close to being accurate.
2: Yeah. I don't know if, Mm. uh, you know, I I know it was a heart attack and it could have been a result after that fall that his health uh, deteriorated and he had a heart attack and unfortunately passed away.
3: Right. And there, there were some other mitigating circumstances involving his health there, but I just, um, I think he could have done it. I think he could have wrestled that match and I think it would have been good. Yeah. yeah. That's the amazing thing about it. I, I really knowing him and seeing the the, the physical condition and, and how sharp he still was. I don't think it would have been a joke. I think it would have been really good. I, think I, so, well, I always wonder what that match would have been like.
2: It would have been It would have been more than passable. I'll tell you that.
3: Yeah, sure. You know, it's funny. Uh, somebody, I think Luthez was like 77 or something like that. And someone sent us some photos from Japan of him wrestling. Mm -hmm. And the photos were great. It showed him doing suplexes and all this other stuff. And I went, oh, boy. So we wrote about it in one of our magazines, and then we saw the match. Not good. No, not even close. Like, one of the photos made it look like he was lifting him up for a perfect back suplex. Yeah. Well, he tripped and fell at that right one second after that photo was taken, and he collapsed to the mat. And the match really wasn't anything at all. In fact, it was kind of humbling. Yeah, but we wrote it up like it was, uh, He still got it. He's still Luthez. At yeah, 78,
2: whatever well, he was. Whatever he was, Lutez.
3: He yeah. was still Luthez, but unfortunately we were duped somehow. Yeah. The, the trouble with our photographers is they didn't provide us with ring reports. They just provided us with photos. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, uh You had, had to
2: write uh, what would sell magazines too back in the day, right?
3: I, I, you know, it's funny. I don't know if, you know what's sad? I don't know if Luthez would have sold a whole lot of magazines in, in that era when we were.
2: Right. But it was a special night. I That's mean, when
3: we had, you know, Kamala with Hulk Hogan's head on a spear. So, you know, I I, I think <laughs> I think it's a little a little different.
2: <laughs> yeah, obviously. Very, very different. But uh, you know, the, the other nature boy, the headliner of Week in a champions was Rick Flair. And uh I know Bob that should be going into this next clip that we have. Um nature boy, Rick Flair, was on a show called Sports Byline. And it was an older show. I was trying to get Rick on the radio show to promote his appearance at the convention. And it was a no-go, like every week, trying to reach out, trying to book him. And uh, he would just say, I'll be there. I'll be there. And I think in the back of his head, I don't know. I mean, uh, it really came down to the wire. And uh, I had gotten permission to air uh, this interview uh, from Sports Byline. And um, and we were able to secure that and air it on the show a week before the Weekend of Champions.
3: Right. And, and I, I'll let the listeners know this. In this coming interview we're about to play, Ric Flair is disarmingly honest. Yes. He is so honest in this, in this interview that I was taken aback listening to it. For the day when this was recorded, I think it was pretty strong stuff. I really
2: do. And then we have a special surprise for everybody after this clip. We're going to actually bring... On the show, not only the person who shot the photo of Bruno and Buddy, but also the guy that sat with Ric Flair at the convention at his autograph table for the two days. So let's get the clip going, and then we'll uh, bring on our special guest.
3: You got it. Here comes an um, interview with Ric Flair. I think the best cover
4: uh, that I've seen in the WWF magazine, it is a great shot of the uh, Ultimate ultimate warrior, and Hulk Hogan, and of course, Summerslam is next week. And I got to commend the WWF for one thing, and uh, uh, Ric Flair coming into the WWF, I think is a is a match. Uh, him and Hogan is a dream match, and I am getting excited watching WWF now. Just make watching them make the uh, references to Flair. I can't wait for Flair to come in. I'm not even watching WCW anymore. Well, I am going to watch now since Cactus is back with them, but. Uh, Just waiting for this dream match to come about, I can't can't wait for it. I can't wait for Ric Flair to enter the WWF wearing that belt. It's going to be great. Sports Byline had an interview with Ric Flair. Now, this goes back a while, but a lot of what Mr. Flair says is very relevant today. We got permission to use this from Ron Barr and a producer of the Sports Byline nationally syndicated uh, talk show. Uh, We had played this a long time ago at our other radio station, and of course we've increased uh, our listeners by multitudes since then. And I think everybody out there who is listening right now, if you want to get a tape recorder started or something, uh, this interview is a classic one. And we're going to go to it right now. It runs, uh, I guess it runs about 20 minutes or so, but we'll come back to it after the news break if necessary. But let's go right now to the Ric Flair interview with Ron Barnes Sports Byline.
7: Welcome back on this Thursday night to Sports Byline USA. If you were listening last night, you know we had one of the all-time greats in professional wrestling in Bruno Sam Martino. And one of the things that he said right away when I asked him, I said, "Uh, Who is it that's on the scene today that you respect? Who do you think is the best wrestler? He did not even hesitate when he said Ric Flair. And I think anybody that's seen the NWA heavyweight champion wrestle knows that he does not cheat his fans, does not cheat uh, anybody with the effort that he puts forth, he goes out there every night and he gives a hundred percent. Thirty-nine years old, been wrestling for seventeen years. Ric Flair joins us tonight on Sports Byline. Good evening, Rick. How are you? I'm fine. So how are you? Do you relate in any way to uh, to Bruno San Martino and the way he approached uh, wrestling and the way you approach it?
1: Well,
5: unfortunately, I wasn't around Bruno San Martino when he was <clears throat> um, the champion um, with the WWF. Uh, I knew him by reputation, and I had the opportunity to meet him one time in Chicago when I first started. But uh, I I, I know him now, and I I knew of him then, and his reputation, of course, was impeccable then. And I know him as a man now, and he's a fine man, and a man that has put a lot of time into this sport, and a man that has earned the respect of everybody that's ever been around him and seen him wrestle. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to answer your question, he... uh, He's held in very high esteem not only by myself, but by most every wrestler that's ever met him or had a chance to see him wrestle.
7: Well, the ra- the reason I said that, Rick, was uh, given what he said about you and what uh, I have heard about you, uh, there seemed to be a great similarity in the attitude. Uh, he has a little bit of a problem with uh, the flamboyancy, the steroid use in the uh, sport right now. And he did say, he says, this guy goes out there, he works on his craft, and he goes out there and he'll give you everything he's got every night. So that's why I thought there might be a similarity between the way you two approached wrestling.
5: Well, that's very nice of to say that. I'm sure that our attitudes are the same in terms of what we feel this the sport needs and uh, our feel from conversations I've heard, um, like the one you had with him last night, that he's a guy that believes that our sport is professional wrestling and uh, we need more of it.
7: One thing I know about athletes, particularly professional athletes, Rick, uh, is that during the course of a baseball season or a football season, it's very difficult to go out there and perform to the top ability night in and night out, particularly over a baseball season, I think. But yet you guys have such a travel schedule, and yet you have to go out there and do it. How does one, after this many years in your 17th year, still maintain that fire to go out and perform as you have to, and in the very physical manner in which you guys do?
5: Well, um... In relationship to baseball, uh, there are athletes in baseball that bat 350, and there are athletes in baseball that bat 2 200. <laughs> um, that's the only way that I can break this down for you. The guys that bat 350 <clears throat> or 300 plus, let's put it like that, are the guys that uh, you know, the guys that hold their average over the course of the year, are the guys that uh, can relate to what I do. I go out there every night, 300 plus days a year, I have. And I wrestle to the best of my ability. Uh, I've been fortunate. I have had very few injuries, which has a lot to do with the the uh, career of a professional athlete in any sport. And uh, I just uh, I keep myself in the peak condition year round, and uh, which wrestling you know adds a lot too.
7: The pressure that you must feel from the fans because of their expectations, is that a two-edged sword? Is that a difficult thing? Uh, do you put more pressure on yourself uh, for a performance level than, uh, say, somebody else might? It,
5: it's, a, it's a combination of both. I, uh, I have a tremendous ego, which says that I have to uh, be the best every night. I, I am on last, and, and I usually have to follow some great matches that have been... Uh, uh, on ahead of me uh, with great wrestlers involved and uh, uh, a lot of times uh, it's really it's hard to go out there uh, and and be the main event because the people expect the most from you but that goes with the territory it goes with the job and i i wouldn't have it any other way when i slow down a step and when i feel i can't do it at the level i'm doing it right now i won't be involved
7: how long does it take you to get out of bed in the morning uh I feel better now than i felt uh fifteen years ago to be honest <laughs> with you uh it's funny i
5: uh go that that goes back to the fact that I have only had two really bad injuries since i've been since i've been in wrestling and uh considering i broke my back in an airplane crash in nineteen seventy five uh I'm very lucky that I don't have more problems than i than i have but uh, I've been very lucky and i uh, i i attribute that i attribute that not only to of course uh someone watching over me, but the fact that I keep myself in real good good condition year-round.
7: How did you end up on the road to professional wrestling?
5: Well, I was um, raised in Minneapolis, and uh, at the time, Vern Gagne was the AWA kingpin and and one of the real big stars in our sport, and uh, a man with tremendous recognition throughout the country. His son and I are the same age, and uh, his son and I uh, came to know each other at the University of Minnesota. And wrestling is something that I'd always liked. Uh, I'd watched it as a kid. I'd been down to the matches several times, and I, uh, I could see that I wasn't going to uh, play professional football. Uh, and I really felt like I, I, you know, I, I wanted to be involved in sports, and I said uh, I had a good amateur wrestling background, and I approached Greg about it, and uh, he introduced me to his father. And uh, a year later, he gave me the opportunity to train with some great athletes.
7: Rick you have some very uh, distinctive features how difficult is it for you to just go out and be uh, Rick flair
5: <laughs> oh it's not hard at all it's funny the our sport I think right now is held in, uh, in such high esteem that we don't I don't have the problems that I think a lot of people think we do we uh, uh, I think the people uh, in, in in sports today the sports public likes the uh, charismatic part of our uh, of our wrestling they like the they like the interviews they they respect the uh, they respect you if you're an athlete. I'll put it like that. And I think my reputation as an athlete and as a wrestler uh, far precedes my, my so-called reputation as a uh,
7: flamboyant character. Uh, do you try to do that for purpose because you want to give some viability and credibility to what you do in the ring rather than have, uh, as some other wrestlers have, have sticks. How do you feel about the sticks that they have?
5: Uh, well, it's really hard for, for me to answer that question because I, uh, uh, in my Personal uh, relationship with this sport. A, a lot of things that I say on TV, I really do. I mean, I've I've lived a I've lived a real a real good life. I uh, I've spent two fortunes in this business, but I've done a lot of that with image enhancement in mind. I mean, I was renting limousines back in 1976 when I couldn't afford them. I bought my own limousine, as a matter of fact, and I hired a. 19-year-old kid in Charlotte, North Carolina, drive me all throughout the Southeast. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I've spent a fortune on clothes, and, uh, you know, a, a, as, as my image and as my reputation grew, I, I, I just expounded on it further and further. I uh, would rent, uh, as an example, a Learjet to fly to, uh, from one town to another, and that was be- long before it was fashionable.
7: Mm-hmm. What's the most out So it,
5: it, for me, it's been real. Uh, a lot of people will get on TV and say they've done things like that mm-hmm. but haven't been close to it.
7: So this is a real true reflection of your personality as you actually yeah, are when you're I, in I
5: the just, ring. Or... I, I got so wrapped up, and I am so wrapped up in this <laughs> sport, and I, I, I've i always wanted to put myself on a par in real life with people that uh, that do fly in, in private jets and, and do have all the things that uh, that uh, I, I think a guy who's on top in any professional sport ought to have, mm-hmm. at, if he wants that type of lifestyle.
3: And there you have it.
2: Uh, The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, uh, the headliner for Weekend of Champions 1991, and that interview with Ron Barr from Sports Byline uh, from several months earlier still is relevant if you want to know some of the inside stuff of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Uh, I tell you, it was an honor to have um, Ric Flair at the convention. We're going to bring on a special guest, uh, somebody that – was a volunteer at 1991's Weekend of Champions. And he had the opportunity to sit with the nature boy, Ric Flair. And then later on, he got to take a historic photo that is still being talked about today. I'm going to bring on a guy that I've known for a long time, Frank Pats Batista. Frank, how you doing?
9: How are you? Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Uh, it's a pleasure, man. I mean, uh, let's give everybody a little sense of history here. 1991, Weekend of Champions. What a lineup. Oh, man. Amazing. How did you hook up with me? Give us a backstory.
9: I um, I, I was 16 years old, maybe. maybe okay. Yeah, 16, 17. And I wanted to get into the wrestling business. Um I tried, I, I tried every which way. And one day I met Georgianne. And um Georgianne was like everybody says, she was one of the most the most special people you've ever want you'd ever meet. She was great. She was she was like another mom. She had like yeah. that that kind of motherly kind of thing with you. And um she took a liking to me and she said you know i'll help you and you know whatever and she put me in contact with you she said you were starting up a convention and you needed some help and you know volunteers and stuff like that she told me go volunteer for him and you'll meet people and and that's what
2: i did were you surprised when i put you at rick flair's table or did you request it i don't even remember
9: yeah it, it was a funny story uh rick flair i had met um i worked at FAO Schwartz in Manhattan. The big toy store. The big toy store as a kid. And one day uh, I'm there working and there's this guy walks by with a woman with long bleached hair. And I knew right away it was Ric Flair. So I was like, oh, my God. So, you know, you're not supposed to do this. But I went right up to him. I was like, hey, Mr. Flair, how are you doing? Uh, can I help you? And I helped him and his wife, Beth, for like, two hours. And, you know, we went around, we bought a whole bunch of toys for the kids. I probably helped Charlotte get some toys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> so they, were, they were really nice. And, um, you know, I, I, he, that's it. So come your convention, I'm back again another year to work. And I believe, I don't remember if we drew straws or... There was some kind of a lottery we did to see who would sit with Ric Flair. Names in a hat, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, something like that. And I won. And (laughs) I never forget, everybody's there, everybody's around, and Ric Flair comes in, and everybody's like, oh, you know, Flair, and people clapping, whatever, and he comes up to me and he goes, hey, I know you. (laughs) <laughs> and that for me was the the greatest moment in, in at at the time of my life. Like you know, Rick Flair said he knew me. Everybody looked at me like, oh man, he knows Rick Flair. So I got to spend the weekend with him, and uh, it was great. It was you know, it's a great time. What are some of the memories that
2: you have with the way he interacted with the fans? And uh, did he loosen up as the convention started? Uh, tell us, you know, some of your memories of what was going on in the I, last
9: few days. I remember he he. He had that he had that presence like like Buddy Rogers had, like, you know, like he had that kind of when he walked in a room, you knew he was somebody. And uh, he was great with all the fans. And, you know, I remember they they'd come up and, you know, uh, take photos and autographs and, you know, take his time to talk with everybody. And he didn't rush anybody away. He was he was a gentleman. It was it was uh, it's really good. Yeah,
2: he was, uh, you know, I had a chance to hang out with him as much as you did, obviously, or at the bar later on. I, you know, I certainly had uh, uh, some fun, but um, but just uh, knowing uh, that the fans that came in to meet him uh, had that experience that sometimes when you meet your favorite celebrity or athlete that sometimes you get disappointed I didn't hear any stories about anyone being disappointed when they got a chance to get an autograph or get a picture with the nature boy.
9: It, you know, it, it, was, it was so special. That show, uh, uh, for, since then, I've been in hundreds of shows, hundreds of conventions. I've never had a feeling like in that show, there was like a, I don't know, it was a special feeling. You knew something special was going on while you were there, and it was it was such a like I, I, it was one of the highlights of my life. It was so great to work in that show. Thank you again.
2: Well, you're quite welcome, but uh, there's more to the story here, and uh, there is a picture that I had no idea that you shot until we got together after twenty something years on Long Island at a diner yeah. and you brought some memorabilia for me to take a look at. And first, and first, what I'm going to do is this: How we are even reconnected with each other? Uh, I was on Long Island. I was hanging out there uh, several months ago. I don't remember the month. What was it? April, May? It was sometime like that, right? Yeah, and I get a phone call, uh, and uh, I pick the phone up, and I believe you had caller ID, so I was like, "That name sounds familiar," or whatever. So I pick it up, and and it was you. And 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 basically, um, I hadn't heard from you in a couple of decades. Yeah. So we agreed to get together. I mean, you called me and I hope, you know, I hope I don't embarrass you. Uh, Cause it was embarrassing to me when you said, John, I mean, it's Frank Patz. How you doing? I just wanted to call you to tell you, thank you for changing my life. <laughs> so it was like,
9: yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was, it, it was really crazy because you disappeared from wrestling and, you know, I had no idea what happened to you. And every now and then, if I talk to someone that, that I knew knew you, I'd say, hey, "Whatever happened to John Arezzi? Oh, I don't know, you know." And my old, our old friend Ron Scholar, One day I'm hanging out with him, and he tells me, "You know, who I spoke with uh, not too long ago, it was John Arezzi. and I was shocked, and I was like, "Really?" And I've always wanted to, you know, to thank you for putting me on those shows because. Putting me on those shows is what led me to Mexico and, you know, and all the, uh, you know, uh, things I've done in my life. Yeah,
2: we'll get to that in a second. Um, But the picture, I had no idea. There was a picture that I had gotten a copy of years ago, and it was Buddy Rogers and Bruno San Martino. And I knew Ann had something to do with it. And that picture, it could have been the only picture that I've ever taken together. And I know Georgianne was buried with that photo. I know there was a picture of that. That that was in in
1: her casket.
2: casket. That's how much it meant to her because she ran, Bob, she ran Bruno's fan club. She ran Buddy Rogers' fan club. Mm -hmm. And to get those two guys who hated each other as a shoot together to shake hands, remarkable. But the guy that we're talking to took that photograph, Frank.
9: Yeah. Tell yeah, us it's about funny. that. I had, I had no idea that, you know, that was a special photograph. I, I had it for years. And uh, when I brought my book to show you the, the old photos I had from the show, it was in there. And you were like, you took that photo? I was with Georgie Ann. And she told me, she said, come, I want you to take a photo. And she got them to go together. And I, I took the photo. And um, i sure I gave her the, I think she asked me for the uh, for the uh, negative, uh, negative after yeah. and um, yeah, but th- that photo, you know, uh, like I'm I feel blessed that she, you know, she has that photo with her now, you know, yes, she absolutely. was, such,
3: she yes. was such a great lady, wasn't she? She oh, really oh, was, she oh, really, oh, yeah. really was. She was the heart and soul of the New York wrestling scene. She really was.
9: That's it, yeah, that's that's it, yeah, she was. Yeah. She was, she helped everyone, her. she really did. Uh,
2: well, the story for Frank Hatch Batista doesn't stop. There, I mean. So <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess a, a couple of years later, 1993, we put together a deal to bring Lucha Libre AAA to the United States. Antonio Peña, Ron Scholar, myself, Conan, uh, and uh, Daryl and Carol, uh, who were the managers of Salt and Pepper, uh, and, Rick and, James. Yeah. and Rick James. So yeah. we we get that together. So how did uh, how did the uh, the transition to Mexico take place? Um, what very, happened? How did you get that? What happened there?
9: I, I was very excited that they were coming. And I remember there was like a press conference that you had and, and Pena was talking and, you know, you know, I, I guess Conan was there and, you know, um, at one point after the conference, I went up to uh, Tonio Pena and I told him, you know, I, I spoke to him in Spanish I told him, you know, I was a fan of Lucha Libre and I would love to do something with them in the future. And if they decide to come to the US, and you know, I, I like to help. And as I'm talking to him, uh, Ron Scholar comes up to me and says, Do you speak English? And I said, Yes. And you know, he said, Can we hire you for the weekend? Just like, we- that. Yeah, just like that, we, for the we need someone to translate. And I said, sure. And they paid me like really good. So <laughs> I, uh, I was their translator for the weekend. And, uh, you know, I did all the business that they had a talk with. I was there and I was involved. And then at the end, uh, Peña says to me, I could use somebody like you in Mexico. Would you be interested in coming to work with us? And the following week I was there. Wow. Yeah, I just I left and went to Mexico, and and uh, I, the last time I when I left Mexico was two thousand and three.
2: Yeah, so, uh, Th-
9: that's when you came back to the United States. So because yeah. we're
2: we're gonna bring you back on in the future when we start getting into that Lucha Libre era, but we're gonna bring mm-hmm. you back on for another reason, which we'll talk about in a second. But yes. um, uh, you came back to New York. And because I think from what you told me, you were uh, enamored with conventions and fan
9: gatherings, and you decided to go into that business. Yes, um, ever since your show, I you know I, I, I loved it. I loved being there. I loved the interactions. I loved uh, putting it together, like you know, when, you know, setting up the tables, like all that stuff. I, I loved it all, and um, even you know, you had the wrestling matches when you had the wrestling matches, they used to have me work the, uh, well, I guess what they call now, like the gorilla position. And I used to like tell the guys when to, when it was time to go in. So, uh, I loved all that. So when I, you know, I'm here in New York and, uh, you know, I, I got a job, but I didn't really, wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So I decided to, uh, do a convention here in long Island called eternal con. And, uh, it was very successful. And, uh, We're in our, uh, next year we'll be in our ninth year. Amazing. Uh, because those things draw, you know,
2: over 10,000 people. Yep. You've had not only comic stars there and movie celebrities, but you've also had, uh, wrestlers like CM Punk at some of your events and, and so many others, but, you know, getting to the reason that, another reason why you're here with us is that during that phone call and during that, uh, that lunch we had, uh, because I had been talking to some folks about the idea of bringing back Weekend of Champions after 30 years uh, to have a 30-year kind of reunion, a, a one-time only thing. And, and you volunteered to say, hey, listen, if you're going to do this, I'm your guy. Let's do it together. Yes, so that's where we are. And that's it. We're ready to go we have been uh, working diligently because you know, this show was centered around in of champions, 1991. And, uh, that was 30 years ago. Uh, and now the plans are in motion. We've been looking at sites. Oh, Frank, you've been looking at sites, a lot of sites Yes. and sending me pictures and we've been having meetings and we're talking about the format. So, uh, uh, I think this will be the first of many appearances that you make here because we are planning in the summer of 2022, Weekend of Champions 2022, a one year. I, I, keep, I call it one time only because I don't want to, you know, yeah. I don't want to do it for the rest of my yeah. life. You know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm an old timer now, really. And uh, but I do want to do one more. And if it continues and it's successful, then maybe the legacy goes right over to you. I mean, after that, if you want to continue it, but I just want to do one and you'll see, we'll see what the future holds, but man, I am excited about it. I think uh, it's going to be spectacular. Great. I think it'll be, uh, something that, um, we're going to blow it out. We're oh, going yeah. to do it's, it different.
9: Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, uh you know, you see a lot of these big shows uh, that, uh, you know, uh, not, you know, not to, 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 make them sound, you know, like they're, they're not, a uh, you know, special, but you know, a lot of these shows, they, they piggyback on, on bigger shows and we're not doing that. We're the big show and we are going to put on something that, you know, special that gives people that feeling that I was telling you just about that feeling that I had at weekends of champions. That's the kind of feeling I want people to have. I want them to go home and say, wow, that was great. Just like I, you know, Uh, You ask anybody that was at those conventions and they'll tell you that, you know, it was great. It was probably, you know, one of the greatest conventions they've ever been to. Well, we'll try to we'll try to do
2: what we can for the next one and uh, and make it special. But, Frank, uh, I want to thank you for coming on today to reminisce with us. Uh, I know I'll be talking to you in the next couple of days, obviously, to continue our plans for 2022. And uh, we look forward to bringing you back on here once again soon
9: thank you so much i I really appreciate it
2: righty Frank Frank Pats Batista thank you very much for joining us uh here today at uh, the pro wrestling spotlight show wow uh, wow did, did Interesting stuff to... wow I
3: <laughs> you knocked me out with that photo story it, it just, uh, that's amazing that's amazing because you, know, you know they weren't exactly you know buddy buddy uh, buddy rogers and Bruno San Martino at that point yeah only Georgian Ann can make something like that happen. I think, yeah. you know, and the fact that he was there to take the picture at just that precise moment—that's almost the stuff of legend, as, as they say.
2: Absolutely, and uh, you know, him reaching out to me, uh, you know, as when he did the timing of it, uh, how serendipitous it was, and now uh, these things, uh, as we did in 1991 with the week in the champions, uh, we're hoping that 2022 uh, will be another special. A special event called Weekend of Champions. You know there is documentation uh, from that Weekend of Champions convention, 1991. Uh, there is the live remote that we did at Weekend of Champions from the Ramada Hotel. And and Bob, you were not at that one, were you at, at that one? Or because I know you wrote a big story about it, uh, and that might have been the 1992 convention with. Uh, I think it was 92, yeah. With Zabisco and Bruno's reunion, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's on video as well, but uh, I do remember you writing a, a fabulous piece. I think it was called the Steel Cage.
3: Yes, that was my column, and uh, was it in PWI? I think it was. Yeah, I had two columns. I had one in the Wrestler and one in PWI, and I, I, yeah, I think the Steel Cage was PWI. See how bad my memory is? Well, I mean, you know,
2: it'll come back. I mean, Jeez. you know, I have all this. I have all these archives to keep. my you know, I don't remember yeah. a thing until I hear the stuff back, and I'm like, oh yeah, that happened.
3: You know, so, you know mean, it was really bad. When I left Peter. I had to get out of there quick because I found a new job right before they moved to Pennsylvania. And yeah. I didn't take any magazines with me. Can you believe it? I think I have five. Oh, wow.
2: Amazing. But I'll tell you one thing, and I'll give you one, uh, a shameless little plug or accolade here. Uh, another thing that you did, which a lot of people may not know about, Pro uh, PWI Top 500. Yes. You wrote... All of those bios, well, all those little, all of those descriptions of the top 500. Am, the, am I correct? The,
3: the first two years, we had had one of our production meetings, and sales were in the toilet. And we needed, we needed a goosing. We needed something that would make people interested in something. And we started to talk about the ratings, and we we talked about expanding the ratings, just generally expanding because everybody seemed to like, you know, and, and they were really based on wins and losses and championships and whatnot. And Stu Sachs was the publisher, and he says, "We got to do a top 100 instead of a top 10." And I half jokingly said, "Why don't we do 500?" I know all these wrestlers, I know all the indie federations. Why don't we just do a, a nice long list? He goes, "Sold, you're doing it." I there said, "What?" <laughs> and I ended up the first two years. Right before I left, I left the magazine after the second year. But I, it's the stuff of legend how our publisher Stanley Weston was going to call the police because he thought somebody broke into the office because he drove by at midnight and the lights were on. He thought somebody, you know, cause nobody ever stayed late and no, it was me. I was toiling away. This was pre-internet pre anything. There was, you know, most of it was do- done from my own knowledge and through the various results I had from, from organizations around the country, Uh, I had actually seen every wrestler that made the list from one way or another. I used to be a voracious videotape watcher. We had a lady in Atlanta. You remember Joe Petticino had an all-night wrestling show in Atlanta, and there would be like eight shows in a row? I do. I I watched it every single week, and uh, at that point, I was at the top of my game in terms of knowledge, and uh, I I put it together, and I'll never say it wasn't easy. I am shocked at the long-lasting legacy that the PWI 500 still has today. wrestlers take it seriously everybody i remember chris Candido walking up to me in the locker room going i dropped down 106 spots what happened (laughs) i mean i mean it's like people really cared about it ddp got left off one year for for some reason that i can't there was a reason for it, but i don't remember what it was i think he had become a manager then came back to wrestling or some nonsense like that so i i know that people took it seriously from the word go they really did and So I have about that much of legacy in that. And fine. Well, it's I'm a very- great
2: legacy. And, of course, you, one year you put Broadway Sonny Blaze on it, I believe, or a couple of years. I think Broadway Sonny Blaze made it made the list.
3: Hey, hey let, let me tell you something. I saw an indie IndyCar with him against Chris Michaels, and it was good. I mean, it was real mm-hmm. good. Nobody could take a backdrop like Chris Michaels. And it oh, was a really good match, and they worked their asses off. And I really loved those guys. They were the – here in the Long Island area, I think they were pretty influential because Sonny owned a ring. Yep, and he could bring it anywhere, and he they were responsible for getting themselves on cards that way. I think.
2: Oh, absolutely, and and he also helped uh, with Cactus Jack and uh, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, and oh he's, yeah, he, he's the one that introduced me to to Mick because uh, uh, Sonny Blaze was kind of the co-host of the first year of pro wrestling. Sure, Spotlight. he was, yeah uh so i mean we have great stuff to talk about here in the future and there's um, there's
3: there's so many things the list is endless about what we can reminisce about it really is
2: yeah and that's what we'll be doing i mean this is a special type of show because we wanted to focus on weekend of champions 91 next week we have uh, the steroid show that we're going to go over uh but i think we have some great content here and you know we're going to evolve this show and then we'll get to that point uh, we'll catch everybody up and we'll get to that point where uh, we cover not just the guests but the callers that called in uh, oh, yeah the, the George from Lindenhurst, <laughs> the you know the the smart fans like Steve from West Hempstead and all the revered callers yeah. that we heard on the original podcast once we get caught up with everything, that's when we'll be able to focus in on on all of that
3: well one of the things I'm hopeful for in this format now that we're, we're starting this over again is that, Younger listeners, today's wrestling fan, will catch on to the show and, and hopefully, like you used to say, listen and learn about the old right. the old show. And that they'll listen and, and get an inkling of what the flavor was for the wrestling a few decades ago. And I think, I think the more they'll learn, the more they'll enjoy what they're seeing now. And I, I really, my fingers are crossed that younger yeah. fans will enjoy this oh. as much as we, us, us old Weezers do
2: we want it and even the 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 new logo I'm, I'm trying to integrate listen and learn the history of pro wrestling spotlight and what we what we had uh over those uh five six years that we did this show okay. uh and and everyone could hear these shows in their entirety including the 1991 weekend of champions live remote and i got to tell you a quick story Uh, I was not on that first hour of that live remote because I was Mm -hmm. I was hung over. I was (laughs) so, I was so drunk the night before (laughs) I was, I was literally, I was out of my mind, uh, you know, drinking with flair, doing shots, buddy Rogers woman, uh, you know, everybody that was in that bar. And uh I, I they couldn't get me up the next morning and it was my convention. I mean, Donnie Liable, poor Donnie, was banging on the door. Uh, my producer at the time, Bruce Jacobs of the radio show, banging on the door, and I finally got roused up.
3: So that's why Bruce and, and Donnie did interviews in the early part of that show, right? Yeah, because
2: I was I was I was at, I was not uh I was not conscious. Oh my put it that gosh. because I they stayed up all night too. Because yeah. the bars in New York they close at four AM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a, it was, you know, it was crazy. So uh, if you do want to hear that live remote and you'll hear it in my voice when I eventually do show up and I get to talk <laughs> with Bruno and practice Jack. And there were a lot of guests that were on that Jimmy Cornette. There's uh, some
3: big laughs on that show. Oh, there was there some are, funny stuff yeah, on that yeah. show.
2: So if you want to hear that in its entirety, all you got to do is go to uh, a patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And before we wrap it up, I do want to uh, let everybody know about the Patreon account because it helps with the production of the show. It keeps you know it keeps it keeps you in the loop of what happened throughout the history of pro wrestling spotlight, plus all the other archives that are shared there. Uh, right now, we have well over a hundred posts of vintage content already available, and uh, by the time this show airs, all of the entire archives. From the show number one of April 9th, 1989, to show 127, which originally aired on September 15th, 1991, will all be there in their entirety, uncut, unedited, uh, at patreon.com. And you get to hear that for five bucks a month. Uh, if you want additional content, we have, uh, we have other tiers you could join uh, each week, you'll have uh, bonus episodes. I have uh, college shows from back then. I got—I uh, I just aired a, 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 a crazy tape from 1975 and with the Spiros Arion turn against Chief J Strongbow and backstage interviews. Uh, we have videos like the Weekend of Champions 1991, 1990, 1992. Uh, so there's tons of stuff each and every week. We do Zoom calls with patrons. Uh, uh have 8 millimeter films from the early 70s that are now on Patreon. I put one up for the top-tiered uh, level. There are, there are several different levels, depending on what you're interested in, how much content you want to receive. Patreon.com slash John and you'll be able to uh, uh, relive the history of what went on, not just from Pro Wrestling Spotlight but from pro wrestling over the last 50 years. I want to do a quick shout out to some of our patron members, which I'm going to do every week. Uh, I'd like to shout out Jeremy Priest, Anthony Pyrus, Michael Walker, Richard Williams, and John Mezzatesta. Uh, Those uh, five individuals are uh, in our upper tiers of the Patreon account, but each week we're going to be shouting out patron members, which we never actually did before. Uh, another thing, the book, that Matt Memories, is still out there. If you want a signed and numbered copy, uh, and I have signed and numbered posters as well, just send me an email, john at mattmemories.com, and uh, all the socials as well. We do have a group for this show, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash PWS pod and radio at Facebook, or just search for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast and radio show On that Facebook page, Uh, at Twitter, my handle is at John Arezzi. Instagram at John Arezzi, and uh, YouTube, uh, I have a channel there, John Arezzi's Matt Memories. So, those are the shameless plugs for the end of this first episode. And Bob, uh, I know you have. And if you want to get in touch with me,
3: I bowl at Harold Lanes on Tuesday and, and Wednesday nights in New Hyde Park. There you As go. We vibe for first place in the Tuesday Bull Air League, so if you want to come over and say hi? I'm always there. There you go, and I'm sure Alex
2: Robertson doesn't want any contact with any any of our crazy fans. She's very um, happy up there, living in a very peaceful country. Yes, uh, and I, I really appreciate she's shaking her head. Alex, Alex,
3: Alex is going to be the glue that holds this show together. Yeah, there's no question in my mind, anyway. I hope so.
2: <laughs> you know, she could say, you know what, this is just, uh, you know, I like current wrestling. I'm not into the history that much. But I think she's smiling the whole time, so hopefully uh, she's enjoyed this. And uh, I know we have some credits to go over too, Bob, so why don't you let us know who's associated hey,
3: with Yes, you. we you do. I want, I want everybody to know that Pro Wrestling Spotlight is a production of Matt Memories, LLC. Your hosts are John and Rizzi and some other guy. Our associate producer and editor is Alex Robertson.
2: So everybody, until we talk more wrestling with you next week and relive the history right here at Pro Wrestling Spotlight, this is John Arezzi. We'll see you next week.